Welcome to Guys We Fucked. <laughs> Guys We Fucked. Guys We Fucked. I'm Christina. I'm Corinne. We're sorry, sorry about, about last, last night. night. The anti-slut-shaming podcast. <laughs> I never stop. <laughs> hey, fuckers. Welcome to another episode of Guys We Fucked. Fucked. It's the anti-slut-shaming podcast. I'm Corinne. I'm Christina. Hello. So today's news story um, is entertainment-based. The Actors Union signs agreement to eliminate Casting Couch, <gasps> which it's funny because Casting Couch seems like something that you only see in porn, but it's actually a real thing. And when they say Casting Couch, they mean like private meetings in like hotels or restaurants that young, oh. a- that young actors, female actors usually have a lot of times with with prominent men in the industry. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, and so this was a HuffPost Women article, and the deal following the fall of Harvey Weinstein and the rise of the Me Too movement aims to further an entertainment industry culture change. So SAG-AFTRA, which is the country's largest actors union, has announced a new agreement with broadcast networks, including ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, that aims to reduce auditions or meetings for members in private hotel rooms or residences, which surprisingly happens a lot. Really? Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, just meet for dinner at a goddamn restaurant and talk about. But e- but even like, but even that, like, I've had a I've had a meeting. I had a meeting with a director of a play uh, when I was in college, like at a cafe. Yeah, and he ended up being the Chelsea rapist. So that's a fun story. <sighs> Did he try to get you upstairs or no? Nah? No, but I was smart enough. Like, I brought Tommy with me, and I also like. I mean, I this is not, but it's just like, you know, I'm not. I'm not I'm not, I wouldn't do I wouldn't go to someone's private right, like, right. it just wouldn't happen I mean I, it, but yeah the type of person yeah. I am I would have yeah I just, especially in my early 20s I've been like what you just want to get to know me more this is great yeah. wow I'm gonna make it in this world I think <laughs> so um the union president uh who's a woman thank god uh Gabrielle <laughs> Carteris said in a press statement that the agreement will include meaningful increases in wages and residual rates that will put real money in members pockets mm-hmm. but in the wake of the me too movement the casting couch culture would also be amended uh, the agreement now reflects important new language limiting auditions or meetings in private hotel rooms and residences which represents a partial realization of our work toward industry cha- culture change yeah. um, this agreement is going to go into effect almost immediately go, goes into effect in July and obviously comes after a global reckoning against workplace sexual misconduct this is great I actually didn't even know about this and usually I'm pretty up to date with uh, entertainment business stuff I love this it's I think it's good to have some good news on here sometimes yeah and just like it's a heads up I know there's a lot of people in the entertainment industry um or aspiring actors or comedians whoever who listen to the podcast like if something feels fishy it probably is yep. just because someone and it's like also these these people are going to dangle something over you and you're never going to get it anyway so <sighs> even if you do suck their dick exactly so it's like you or know what their asshole it's whatever. like you know what's worse than not getting a role not getting a role and also having suck in your mouth dick. Ew. <laughs> like, ew gross <laughs> i got cum in my mouth and i didn't get the part this day sucks yep your day would really <laughs> take a turn hey and you might need to turn to Talkspace. Mm. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. Can't imagine fitting another appointment into your life, you busy bitch? Well, Talkspace therapy is easy as sending your therapist a message through the app. There's no commutes. You don't got to leave the office. You don't got to leave your couch. You can stay in your underwear and no judgments. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com GWF and use code GWF. WF to get $45 off your first month 
and show you support for this show. That's GWF at Talkspace.com slash GWF. Uh, come see us live. You guys, these are the cities that Corinne and I are going to be taking the Bridget Bishop tour to, okay? We have more in line, but just so you guys know. And, and all these ticket links you could find at Sorry About Last Night Comedy dot com slash tours if the ticket link isn't in there yet that means it's not up and so you know we'll put it in but seattle washington we're going to be at you july 12th through the 14th irvine california we're at the irvine improv july 19th through the 22nd this is our only la area ish date so <laughs> really can't reiterate that enough. a lot of shows here we're staying in los angeles for the duration of these shows so if we can make the commute you can too other cities we're going to be coming to soon washington dc philadelphia Dallas, Texas, specifically Addison, and Atlanta, Georgia. That's going to be in October. Again, sorry about last night, comedy.com slash tours. You can join our email list through the website. Maybe we'll send you an email. We never, I don't, I think we've only sent one mass email so far in our days of doing this. So, you know, we're not going to bug you. Yes, absolutely. And then for me personally, uh, the last Evero Nacho Bitches is happening in New York City on Friday, July 27th. The show is at 11.30 p.m. at New York Comedy Club, as always. Tickets are $12 with code Nacho. Again, this is the last show ever. I saw people talking on Instagram like, am I moving to L.A.? No, I'm not moving to L.A. I'm just not doing Nacho Bitches anymore. I'm trying to concentrate on some other stuff. I'm going to be on the DL for a while as far as live appearances. But you can always uh, hear me, obviously, on this podcast. And then Two Less Lonely Girls, the podcast I do with Rosebud Baker about Justin Bieber and celebrity. It's my little baby. It's really like improved my mental health greatly doing that. So I would really appreciate if you would hit subscribe, uh, listen to that, rate, review, etc. And thank you so much to Stitch Fix for sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. Regardless of your style, it can be easy to fall into a rut. Yep. Then when the temperature rises, you have to change your whole fashion strategy. God damn it. I mean, like, just have a titty popping out. Uh, Stitch Fix can make getting dressed for summer easy and fun, whether you need to get through wedding dress season or survive the heat and still be office appropriate. I hear this so hard because, let me say, we all know I look like a vampire, and I love fall. I love winter. Summer is great as a season, but as far as wardrobe, it is not good. The outfits that people wear in the summer, like, unless you're, like, a a top 10, like, model, like, I think everyone looks pretty bad in the summer. I don't like looking at other people. I don't like dressing for it. It's not good. (laughs) So really just trying to work work on that a little bit. Guys, you can really get a lot of help with Stitch Fix. You just tell Stitch Fix your sizes, some information about your lifestyle and your preferred budget. And one of their stylists will send clothes, shoes, and accessories picked just for you. It's really fun because they send you brands that you might not have thought of trying on. They did send me these jeans that I would have never tried on and somehow made my butt look even better than it are already did so i was like wow that's worth the fucking subscription in and of itself um and also they were jeans that weren't too long for me which as someone who's like five foot three and a half is very hard and i don't want to cuff them like i'm in some kind of weird movie about old times um (laughs) each stitch fix box contains five items you can try on at home you only pay for the items you keep and stitch fix covers shipping costs on returns and exchanges there's no subscription even required you can get your fix monthly quarterly or whenever you prefer which is really great so if you have an event coming up you can be like oh my god i want to stylist that I can just talk to um you can like you can attach Pinterest boards to your fashion profile you can really get the um the person to know a lot about you and I gotta say I'm not an easy like body type uh as far as size wise all the shit 
whether I like it or not, fits really good. And I found some really new, amazing pieces and great denim. Um, I like it a lot. And you just put it in all the stuff that you don't want back in a bag, throw it in a mailbox, and you're done. And you went shopping. It's easy. So you can get your first fix now at stitchfix.com slash GWF and get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. Again, that's stitchfix, S-T-I-T-C-H, fix.com slash GWF to get started with Stitch Fix today and uh, enjoy your summer. Yeah. All right. Oh, we have a very exciting announcement you this guys. is so exciting i'm so excited about this very pumped i know a couple months ago we asked for some interns and we were very fucking vague yeah. and mysterious yep. and so cryptic about it um it was because we really didn't know what we're doing but we've been doing this podcast for a long time now and i think we've both felt that maybe it's time to kind of take it to the next level in mm-hmm. some ways not only just like try a new venture um but also to expand upon like the original message I know I personally get frustrated a lot um with maybe like how the message of this podcast is interpreted and it's certainly not supposed to be heavy-handed I do not consider myself to be an activist this is not a journey that I took I didn't come out with some major purpose but like the podcast has turned into what it is we get really serious at times and so sometimes it's frustrating when you know we go out on the road and people just think it's like about dick sucking yeah Um, I mean dick sucking is 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 great is a part of it a great but You know what? Another part of it is being a good person and getting off your ass and helping out fellow human beings and being an active citizen in the world. Right. And I think it's just like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people who listen who like, you like to go out, have a good time and drink and party. And like, me too. I fucking love that. We both love going out. It's so fun. Um, But there are, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. And I think if we all did a little bit, the world would be a much better place. And so we kind of just wanted to you know instead of complaining about it like we want we want to be the change that we wish to see in the world exactly because my mom gave me that magnet when I was like in college and then like, I keep looking at it every time I get something out of a beer out of the refrigerator and I'm like you know what yeah I gotta do that um and so you know a lot of times we're like you know get off your phone a retweet is not gonna help you know every every now and again a retweet helps but like really like either you have to like be doing acts of service or donating or you know running for that office time. yes yeah, exactly doing something active and 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 not just being like well I I bought this notebook and 10% of it goes to stopping rape so like wow I, what a hero <laughs> you know I did it you're such a hero so we came up with a day where you get off your phone and you go and you do something and you sign up for to volunteer or to donate to a local organization we decided to start something that's really like New York City centric um, which is not just because we're obsessed with New York City but it's because it's like you know it's like for people who are coming here in person it's really like you see change when you start very locally and then branch out and we talked to a lot of people we had the most amazing response to our intro we have the most talented listeners oh my god graphic designers oh god. videographers For, photographers people who are, are well versed in like the non-profit comic con like booths and shit mm-hmm. so okay so yeah. saturday mm-hmm. august 18th mm-hmm. in brooklyn we are having the first ever Guys, Guys We, we Fest. Fest. Oh, my God. Shout out to Tyler, our intern, for thinking of that title. Yeah. So good. Guys We Fest is going to be, during the day, it's going to be at the same venue. It's Brooklyn Studios in downtown Brooklyn, but it's BRKLK. BKLNY. Yeah, it's like a... Bicklin. Bicklin Studios. So during the day, 
Guys We Fest is going to this beautiful, amazing venue mm-hmm. that we just signed the contract for. I'm so fucking excited. Mm-hmm. We're going to have booths set up and we're going to have organizations that will have information and volunteer signups. You can go to Guys We Fest during the day and you could sign up for a charity. You could sign up to volunteer and actually take action. And there are also going to be really fun things there like puppies <laughs> and we're going to have fucking food and there's going to be we're, try, we're, we're in the process of getting all of these booths together and and, um, and our amazing fleet of volunteers yeah. is wrangling a lot of fun shit, a lot of important shit. Mental health care, yep. OBGYN care, like just a lot a of different smear, things. You can get an STI test. Hopefully, at, yeah, we're yeah. working all these things up. Like this is kind of the concept that we're working on. And yeah. we have a huge team working with us, all completely listener uh, supported. Yep. Um, and so, and then if you're not, if you don't live in New York City or if you can't make it to Guys We Fest, you can still be a part of it. Uh, we're going to have t-shirts that we'll put the link to. And that's like, because everyone's constantly saying like, how can we support the podcast? We are so fortunate. The podcast is great. And what you can do is support these organizations that we love and that we've put the spotlight on. Um, and Christine and I each chose a charity and 50% of the profit. The complete, we're not making any muffy, money off no it. Everyone is volunteering. Um, we have these organizations. Yeah, we have everything doing. Donated. So my half is going to go to what a surprise new alternatives who I love, which again is an LGBTQ center for at risk uh, youth. They provide mental health care, STI testing, job training so much. I've, and I've, I've seen this uh, this uh, charity grow so much and they're local and they're small and like the money goes directly to the clients, which I think is so phenomenal and uh the other 50 percent of proceeds is going to be going to the reproductive health access project if you've heard our interview with dr linda prine um she is an amazing woman who is belongs to this organization and i'm so happy uh lady parts justice was one of the main reasons why i knew this organization existed but their mission is to train and support clinicians to make reproductive health care accessible to everybody and their focuses areas of focus are on abortion contraception and miscarriages and they're making a world a better place uh by going to areas and people who need this type of health care who couldn't mm-hmm. afford it otherwise so they're doing amazing work so all these t-shirts that and that we're going to be selling uh the all the profits are going half to new alternatives half to the reproductive health access project um and we are very excited and then during the day is going to be the like as fair there's going to be talks like comic con for like the yeah. most badass bitches but it's not gender specific like we worked we're working really hard to make this not like just a gal's yep. day like and you gonna, can bring your boyfriend we're gonna do a live episode of guys we fucked mm-hmm. at guys we fest which we never we like so rarely do that it might be our last ever live I mean, not, maybe not but like we never do that <laughs> we never do and it, yeah. at night it is going to be the night portion of this is going to be 21 and up because it'll be alcohol yeah we really we tried but literally we'll there's no uh, way, way to legally do it where we aren't really Hell responsible really at tank. risk for some yep. bad shit yep and so we're gonna have we're gonna put on a show where we're gonna have comedians musicians drag performers uh mm-hmm. and some of the best people in the entertainment industry and it's yeah. gonna be a fucking blowout show it's gonna be fucking nuts and uh we'll have wristbands for the day wristbands for just the night or an all access pass that you have to be 21 to get and i'm so happy i'm so excited about this 
And so you can follow um, all the social media for Guys We Fest. On Instagram, it's at Guys We Fest. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Guys We Fest. And then if you go to sorryaboutlastnightcomedy.com, you'll see uh, you can click on the Guys We Fest page and get more information, pricing, timing, all that kinds of stuff. And there'll be ways that you can you know, donate and participate uh, even if you're not able to make it to New York City on Saturday, August 18th. But we're really excited about this. This is kind of a new thing in the direction that we're kind of toward, heading towards and like getting up your ass. It's like we've been podcasting, we've talked about everything, and we'll continue to talk about everything, but now we also need to incorporate doing things, um, and because we've been very fortunate, so it's time to uh, kind of pass that along to other people in our community. Very exciting about that. Yeah, um, so stay fast. tuned, and make sure to follow on the social media, because we'll be announcing things first on social media, and people on social media definitely will have like faster access to yep. stuff. Um so we have an email today. This one is uh, very interesting. I think fitting for a lot of the things we'll be discussing later in today's episode. And it said, yes, it's okay to break up with a good man. Uh, Hi, Corinne and Christina. I have been wa- uh, wanting to write in for a while now to express my thanks to you and your podcast for helping to improve my life. Prior to listening to your podcast, I had never heard females speak about sex so openly and more importantly, uh, shamelessly. Your openness and shame-free attitude, attitude, attitude towards <laughs> sex helped me feel more comfortable and confident about sex in my relationship with my boyfriend listening to all your conversations with with each other and various guests and the advice you would give to listeners also contributed to building my confidence to end my seven and a half year relationship with my boyfriend because I was not truly happy Listening to the podcast, I have always really related to Christina. I grew up as a people pleaser who often puts others' needs before my own and has difficulty identifying and expressing what my needs are, which is something that I'm working on. Similar to Christina, my long-term committed relationship with my boyfriend began in my early 20s. I turned 30 last year. We were living together, and I moved out a few days before you released the breakup episode. As I mentioned at the beginning of my email, I've been wanting to email for a while to thank you, but what has finally motivated me to actually do so is that I recently came across an article that I thought you or other fuckers might find useful called yes it's okay to break up with a good man I think the whole piece is fantastic but the three quotes that really resonated with me and summarized the crux of the article are below Uh, number one is I wish someone had told me when I was much younger that I didn't have to have an airtight legal case for a breakup all I had to have was a desire to no longer be in that relationship The second one is you can break up with someone for any reason or no reason at all. You Mm. don't have to have a, quote, good reason to end a relationship. And the third one is when women end uh, partnerships, it seems that the emotion we feel perhaps more acutely than the eviscerating grief of love lost is the guilt of having pushed it away. The article also includes an excerpt from a piece written by Cheryl Strayed, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, author of Wild. She's amazing. Um, which is also very poignant. Uh, the truth that lives there. Um, I'll read the piece. It's short. Go even though you love him. Go even though he's kind and faithful and dear to you. Go even though he's your best friend and you're his. Go even though you can't imagine your life without him. Go even though he adores you and your leaving will devastate him. Go even though your friends will be disappointed or surprised or pissed off or three or all three. Go even though you once said you would stay. Go even though you're afraid of being alone. Go even though you're sure no one will ever love you as well as he does. Go even though there is nowhere to go. Go even though you don't know exactly why you can't stay go because you want to because wanting to leave is enough um 
And she goes on, but I just thought the quotes and the pieces that she kind of like, this was a really well thought out email. And I thought like, regardless of how it relates to either of us, I just think this is an important thing to pass on to a lot of listeners. I know a lot of you guys kind of emailed us after the breakup episode and we're like, oh, you know, whatever your thoughts about it. A lot of you did make it about you. That's fine. Um, But I know we were feeling a lot of feelings after that episode. And I don't think we really revisited it a ton since then because it was a lot to sit with and and, you know, as the podcast gets more and more uh, popular, these things are very hard to deal with uh, in a public setting. We are n- we are still human beings. Um, but I love the kind of thought of like if just like and I actually know an- there's another friend that we both have who recently ended a relationship with like a good guy. And I know she felt a lot of guilt about doing that. And there was no mm. real reason that she felt she was like, I'm just not into him anymore. And like, that's OK. We feel that overtook s- her. Yeah, we feel so much guilt as women uh, for someone who on paper is a good guy or someone who like, you know, our friends is like the guy that they our friends wish they had. But it's like you are living your life and if you're not happy and if it's not doing and if you're sitting there questioning like that's not the right relationship for you yeah and it's always 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 better to be alone it really is I can't say it enough it's not a bad thing and I'm not saying like don't don't look for love or don't care about love put a wall up uh, don't do that yeah but it's just like live your life and it really like it's a, it, like having a relationship is a treat and it can be something that's like you know just because like for me personally it's not on my like must-haves list as I've said but like, again if it is on your must-haves like there's nothing wrong okay. or anti-feminist about that but it's like just don't I just see so many people wasting their whole life looking for someone who may or may not exist and it drives me fucking crazy there is so much good to do in the world alone or with somebody else Wow. Yeah, well, that directly relates to what I want to talk about. I'm pretty. Um, see, I, I speak your. I, I could speak to you even without speaking to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get sad. Um. So, just an update, personal update that and realizations that I've been going through lately that I that hopefully will help people. Um. So I basically have been fucking this dude since I broke up with Stephen, and. I didn't realize this until he broke it off recently, like right before we interviewed this week's guest. Uh, terrible timing on my part because I shouldn't have done that, talked to him about it. But anyway, uh, you know, I've been fucking this guy and I've been doing things with him that I've never done with anybody before, like uh, phone sex, sending audio clips of me coming or sexting or sending naked photos. And it's very all very, very fun. But... Since he was like, I basically, what happened is we had been fucking, fucking, fucking. I had told him right before our guest came over Wednesday uh, that I liked him and that I was kind of getting nervous about that. And I knew that I had an inkling in my head that that was going to make him go, cool, yeah, I'm out. Not in an unkind way, but in a way, and, and deep, 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 deep down, very deep. I knew that I really needed that. Um, I have not been in a good place the past week. And Steven came over to get the cable box a couple of days ago, whatever. And I saw that interaction was not good. Brief, but not good. That sent me into an even deeper, even deeper spiral. 
And then this guy that I'd been fucking, he came over the night before we did these interviews and we talked for hours and we fucked and then we talked for more hours and I was like, wow. And then I, I always walk him down to the, get a cab after and I just, I, 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 I feel myself I, and I notice it now just getting so giddy about him and and I really when he when I when I texted him hey like I'm kind of getting nervous basically is what I said it's like I'm getting a little nervous because I think I like you too much and I'm so glad I did that I was debating I said you know I'm a person who likes to be in control over things if I wanted to maintain control over this you know feel some sense of control over this casual sex relationship I would just either end it myself on my terms because then I won't be rejected and I won't feel like shit and I won't be butthurt or uh, or I just don't tell him and shove those feelings down and keep fucking and have every, you know. So I told him and then he we texted and then he talked and, you know, it doesn't matter exactly what he said, but uh, he was very kind. He's a very great guy. But I have been <laughs> building him up to myself, to you, to the couple people that I've told. Mm-hmm. As this, the most amazing man with the, this is mean, and I don't, I do want to interview him one day on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I really do because I, I think he's a great dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know. Yeah, I and I, this is uncomfortable for me to say because I, I don't want to be mean towards him. It's not a bad thing. He doesn't have a tiny, but he, <laughs> I made his cock. Mm-hmm. I tricked myself into believing that his cock was the best cock. That anybody has ever had in the world. It was like the antidote to all your <laughs> to all your ailments. I <laughs> I would say, and this is, I, I and I think this is this is certainly a thing I do, and I think this is a lot of a thing that a lot of young women do, where you build someone up. I do this all the fucking time, and I'm so sick of it. But you build a person up. When I first met Stephen, I was like, mm-hmm. we had brunch. And I'm like, that's my husband. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I do this thing. I put these men on these pedestals and it's so fucking stupid. And I make it out like they are the best thing since sliced bread. Now, the, granted, the sex that I had with him was amazing. Mm-hmm. He's a great sexual partner. I mm-hmm. think the way he communicates is is great. It, it was great. I would by no means say that this was the most amazing, incredible sex I've ever had in my life. It's, mm-hmm. It was eye-opening and I did new things and that was really cool. But I, I, I'm looking back in to the ways that I just made his dick the best thing in the world and it, what it did was distracted me from really going through the pain of a breakup. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, when he was like, hey, you know, I'm not that serious about you. And he told me he was seeing somebody else and that he likes and he doesn't want to date a comic and all these reasons that it doesn't matter. He was very nice about it. But, you know, I felt what he was saying that to me on the phone. I felt my heart break, but it wasn't for him. I feel like I felt my heart break for the first time because for the first time since I met Steven seven, over seven years ago, I am now, now I'm alone and now I have to deal with it. And now I don't have a boy to be excited about, even if it's just a fuck buddy. I don't have a boy to be excited about. And God damn it, did I use that as a distraction to avoid my feelings. Um, And so I've been sitting with the alone thing for the past five days. And I don't, I'm not, obviously I'm someone, my mom 
has had multiple suicide attempts. And so I f- I'm very comfortable talking about suicide. I've never actually, I, I just feel this sort of emptiness that, uh, and it's not because of the guy and it's not because of Steven. I don't know what it is, but I have been like, I've never thought specifically how I would kill myself before, but just lying in bed. It, and it was in a way it was comforting because I just wanted to go there in my head just to just go there. It's just playing pretend in my head. And like, just man, when, when you left that day, Corinne, basically this guest that we have on this week's episode, 30 minutes before she was supposed to come over. This is when I had this phone call with this dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he asked me if I could talk. I said, yes. Cause I'm a fucking idiot. And, uh, and cause you're I just not. wanted to, stuff you always call I yourself. Know, an idiot. Yeah, you're wanted, really not. I wanted to get it over with. Yeah. But it was bad timing. But, um, and then he said the thing and then I ran outside to have a panic attack and smoke a cigarette and then our guest with her partner came and I'm like, fuck. And then like she was approaching the door. I'm like, hey, Amanda. And she, like, I kind of freaked her out because I think I said it really like, I'm okay. And when you find out which Amanda it is, you're going to be like, whoa, Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then right before we started recording, I was like, hey, Corinne, just so you know, this per- I just had a phone call and it shattered my heart into a million pieces and I want to die. So uh, yeah, like you, <laughs> she literally whispered that to me, like as our guest Amanda was in the, like bath- in the chair, in the bath. Yeah. And I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. And then and then we did that interview and then then I just bawled my face out. But and then then we interviewed Tim Dillon. And uh, and then when you left, I I wow, I don't think I've ever I don't even know what it is. It's like this feeling of loneliness that and realization that I need to be crazy over something that isn't a boy mm-hmm. and how I've always been boy crazy and it's always been a, a, a distraction. It's always a distraction from feeling, from going through the emotions and feeling the actual feelings that I need to feel. And, and it's really interesting and kind of comforting to know that I'm not this sad. I would have been pretty disappointed in myself if I was this sad over this guy I was fucking. I mean, Jesus Christ. We, it's... <laughs> It's not that it wasn't that fucking epic. <laughs> Good God. Um, but I I have been feeling the feelings of just a very it's a depress I don't even want to call it a depression. It's just something that I need to go through. It's something that I've I've swept under the rug like ten years ago. And I just need to feel it. And I and I, I have cried the past couple of days. I have cried in a way, it surmounts any ugly cry that you could ever think of anybody ever doing. Like, I have been drooling all over myself, sobbing like a, like a toddler, mm-hmm. like, a, like a kid. And, and one thing you had said to me before you left that day was like, you just need to like cry and feel it and just cry. And I've been crying for the past five days. I don't even know what about anymore, but just wailing to the point where if anybody heard me, I feel like they'd call the cops uh, because I just had to, I had to like put my mouth against my pillow and just scream for hours and hours and hours. And, and it's, uh, it really, it sucks, but um, I feel like every day I wake up and I want to be here a little bit more. And it, and it is weird to feel like you want to die when you have so many amazing things in your life and you go, I don't even care. And that makes me feel even worse, which is, uh, I think a mistake a lot of people make is like, they use that as, well, you should be happy because you have X, Y, Z. You've accomplished all these things. You've done these great things. But when you, when you're still, when you still want to exit the planet, despite all of that, that feeling, 
that is like a darkness that I have never, I feel like I've, I've protected that corner of my soul since I was a kid. And for the first time I'm going there and it's, it's, it's necessary. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to talk about that and let that out and get that out and throw that out there in case you are also protecting a corner of yourself that you should explore because yeah we also had talked about though um i think on the same day the difference between like actually being suicidal and wanting to die because i yeah. think they're very two very separate feelings yeah and um i've never been suicidal but there ha- there are, i definitely wanted to like not be alive anymore yeah but there and those are two things i mean i've numbness, never thought of ways to do it before yeah and that freaked me out but everyone has that's very normal yeah I, I guess I've never just gone there in my head yeah I mean like, I don't have like a kill choice myself, but yeah uh, no no know. no and I think I think I think that's the thing it's important to be able to to, to talk to talk about, about suicide without p- everyone then flooding like, our inbox oh being like oh my god here's a don't phone number yourself. yeah I, I know the phone numbers it's not it's like not helpful but I think it's like it, because there's such a stigma on like you know depression and like mental health I think it's very uh, helpful I think it's very helpful when I hear people say like I want to I want to die or I feel like I want to die or I feel like there's nothing left to live for because I think that's v- very much a part of the human process yeah, I think that's a very normal and I almost question I almost question someone who always thinks life is a gift not, not I almost question I definitely question <laughs> someone who always thinks life is a gift um I never I don't, I don't feel like I don't think guess life's a gift I don't I don't think about it like that but I have never wanted to die before yeah well I mean but like when you think about what life is and I was trying to write a joke about this but like <laughs> life is like a forced gift that you can't return so it's like someone gave you a sweater and you're like maybe I'll think of a place to wear this sweater to but I don't really like it but no matter what it's always fucking hanging in your closet and then a lot of times you look at it and you're like well this is kind of wasteful if I don't put this sweater on somehow you know there's cold yeah. people in the world that could use this sweater yeah so that's how I think about life a lot and I I really try to make the best of it but I mean a lot of the reason that I don't want to have kids is not because I don't like kids but it's because like I haven't figured out how to I haven't figured out whether or not I like life yet and so I don't think it's fair for me to bring somebody else into the world to go through that and I know it's a very human experience kind of figuring out your purpose and stuff I feel very secure that I know what my purpose is but it's like I've done all this work and we have all this success and then it's just like but what is it again it goes back to that to the the email that listener wrote us um her name's Katrina about the it's okay to break up with a good man because it's the same as like with this man on paper is great like yeah life is great and like our lives look great on paper but that doesn't mean that we're not still going through these very human experiences and feeling great pain and disappointment and that you feel that at every level in your life yeah and money doesn't change that and success doesn't change that sometimes it makes it harder because you can't tell who your real friends are yeah and but also I think it also makes it harder because because you have all these amazing things that people would kill for or that that you've dreamt of since you were a little girl right and to be sad despite that is scary it's but, scary because you're like this is this didn't help me and then you also on top of it feel ungrateful yeah and I'm somebody who feels I'm so grateful for so many things but I just feel I feel very numb and I feel um but I, I you know I've been talking a lot I was texting last night Justy Dodge um who's who was uh you know gone through these emotions before and she was great to text with because she she was literally like 
you gonna kill yourself tonight just can you just let me know if you're gonna kill yourself because then I love just worry about you I and love just her watch friends on your TV <laughs> and just fuck it. you know she was she handled it like the best way ever but um you know it was I really was appreciative that she wasn't like oh my god I'll come over do you need anything uh, it's like no that's gonna make it worse because I, I I do want to talk about this like mm-hmm. we uh, Wendy Starling and I went to this um it's like a UCB Del Close Marathon after party or whatever I'm somebody who wears my emotions on my sleeve I cannot not talk about something even if it's with a total stranger and we both went to um this bar McManus that's a you know you frequent that bar a lot and uh (laughs) a lot of people and uh we were I was talking to this guy Sean who you you know um and I was just like I want to kill myself and I was just talking it out and then we were having oh Sean that I fucked yeah oh how nice yeah um and and I was just being very honest about that and uh because I just wanted to get it out of my body and (laughs) And we had this great conversation. We was like, you know, we all want to kill ourselves sometimes. Maybe. Yeah, you're not original, Christina. Yeah, yeah. Well, that very humbling. And then fucking, oh my god, this this guy who's a, is a uh, his name's Jason Mansukas. He's a he's an actor and, and an improviser. I've, I've and known a zaddy. Oh, zaddy. Yeah. So many of my friends are madly in love with him. My old roommate. Uh, yeah. Oh my god, that was like her number one. Yeah. Crush. I still people, want to get them together. Three people I know. It's he is their number one crush. Yeah. I'm like that's so specific. Wow. Yeah. And it's like a comedy nerd kind of guy. Yeah. Not everybody knows who he is. But uh, he's great. He's wonderful. And uh, and uh, I was talking, and he he we had talked. Him and I had talked before because mm-hmm. he told me about. Oh yeah, he's listening to the podcast. And he's like, "Hey, how are you?" And I'm like, "I want to die." And he's like, "Oh, okay." And then he's like, "You know, I forget." I was like, "Yeah, I broke up with my boyfriend." He goes, "Steven? I'm like, "Yep, Steven." Oh wow. Yeah, I'm like, no, real he's listener. Too but then he and I was just saying how I was basically said kind of all the things that I just said to mm-hmm. Jason, who doesn't know me at all. And I was mm-hmm. just like, "There's all my baggage," and he really he like he gave me the best motivational talk in the world, and it was really nice. But you know. Talking, if you feel these things, you're definitely not alone. I'm right there with you, girl or boy or undecided or whoever you are. Um, And I think it's very human to have these feelings. And I think talking about them, if you're a person who is social, I think one thing that has saved my life is going out and just telling complete strangers. I know and it's, it's well, a and weird way to start too. a conversation but uh I don't care and co- that's why comedy is so important and that's why you know like things like Het and Annette are so aggravating because it's like to make to have to say that you feel suicidal and have someone respond comedically to me is the, the most thing cathartic in the thing in the world it's the best thing in the world because the same thing I, so when I went I, ages ago during the Frank breakup mm-hmm. we I went to see a UCB show again and uh someone like picked me out the host picked me out of the crowd to do crowd work and he's something about my breakup and then he he goes blah 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 and then he is like no one cares yeah. he said no one cares and like to this day that's the most helpful and i've talked about it multiple times it's the most helpful thing anyone ever said to me yeah is nobody cares because then that kind of really forces you to deal with it in your by yourself but not in a bad way no in a, I in a good way every time you know i'm having a real hard time being alone in my apartment because mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge apartment and when it's just me, I just feel, I don't know. I just feel, and there's so many, Steven had so much shit that it's all moved out. So it's even, it feels just even bigger. I feel like I'm in a castle, even though it's, it's nowhere near that big, but uh, for New York City standards, I guess. And I, I've been occupying my time and just trying to be out of my apartment. But the, but the, the moment always comes where I have to go home mm-hmm. and be alone. And, and every night for the past week, I've just been bawling myself to sleep. But it's, 
it feels good. I feel a lot better and I feel mm-hmm. a little less numb. And I don't know. It's sadness is very humbling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's in, just in, very in, in, good. A, in a necessary way. Yeah, it's a, so necessary. Way. Yeah. And I never, and I'm just realizing all these things about myself. One, how I put boys on pedestals and I make them out to be so much better than they are. You do that to a lot of people. You like like to see the best in people. But to an extreme that is so unhealthy. But with the guy thing, I do that because, oh my God, let's focus on this thing and magnify it a hundred times so that I don't even have to go to all the sad places in my head. Hmm. And the honest places in my head that I have to be honest with myself about. And, um... It's important work, so do it. But yeah. I, but I also I think it's I think it's interesting because to me like the immediately after the breakup when you were like kind of like having like what seemed like too much fun I would say yeah like that was more wor- like this to me is not worrisome like now and I know it seems more worrisome like because you're crying a lot but like to me I'm like no it's this normal. is this is exactly the other stuff to me was like uh, what are you not gonna handle this or like that's truly how I felt because I was like that was worrisome this to me I was like oh this is this is great and it's hard to tell someone it's great to sit that I'm like you know to tell you for six months that you're gonna cry and feel like shit you're right and it feels great but it's like even though yeah but I'm like that's like it just it's so you know and like it's like so it's like it's, a million people will tell you during your breakup like oh it's gonna get so much better and you can't understand it at the time I do not understand that at all but I, I but know then it's you're true. gonna be like oh I know my it's god true. I feel so much better yeah and like I feel like and on top of feeling better you're gonna f- I this is my what I'm gonna my guess is that you're gonna feel like even more of a complete person uh I'm finally taking care of myself emotionally after never doing that yeah i never do that but I even though you've got focus on the positive and the even though you've gone to therapy that. before you feel like you've never done any like emotional I do maintenance cry. every time i go to therapy i cry my eyes out but i well, yeah. don't I, I i'm finally doing that now right i guess because i've seen this therapist twice and i, I you know and I, i've been very honest i'm popping adderalls mm-hmm. to avoid feelings I'm oh don't drinking. do that don't i'm do that. drinking so much and I usually I have a rule for myself I never drink when I'm sad for whatever reason the alcohol is making me feel a lot better which is a little weird um, and concerning and like I don't know that's it's odd it's kind of freaky because I you know I'm not as worried about the alcohol the Adderall is I would well the Adderall is something I was telling my my therapist that it's a drug that puts my feelings on hold and mm. lets me do whatever and power through things and, and it creates a sense of urgency and doesn't it, it give you anxiety though a little bit no 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 i mean i think i do have a little add-ish so it, it doesn't it, it helps you refocus yeah. a little bit actually sometimes it makes me calmer but what, okay. it, what it really does that's terrible for i mean i know that drug is terrible and you don't have to send me the articles i already know um i think one of the reasons that drug for me i like about it is because it makes me look at something bad and go you know what it'll be okay and then that's all the work I do on it. Right. And, and some so, things won't be okay, but they just never will be okay. And that's, and, and that in and of itself has thing? to be okay. Exactly. Everything will not be okay. And I, that's why yep. I hate when say people say everything will be okay. Because it probably won't, but like you'll get I'll past be, it anyway. I'll be okay. Yeah. So, so it's just, that's yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. I want to, bought a, p- the piano. That was such a good move. I've it's been playing. Pretty. I like that it's white out of the piano. Me too. It's very nice. Um, it's very Elton Johnny. Yeah, it's very like I took it to the next level. Yeah, with the golden legs. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think that's just you know whatever. 
Yeah. And again, this is a conversation more like jumping off point for yourself, not to reply to us about it. (laughs) We're dealing. We're good. Sometimes it it makes it harder to deal with things when you have a thousand other opinions coming in. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've just been drinking every night and acting like I'm a 21 year old gay man. Honestly, me too, but I don't mind it. Well, I literally for the past two weeks, this is so crazy, but like I prescribed myself fun. (laughs) <laughs> and it worked great That's good. good and I like never it. have fun and I was like okay I'm just gonna con because like we're home you know we're working almost we're out of town like almost all summer and I really am you know I love meeting going to like new places and meeting new fuckers but like I have a real tr- problem like I really like being home with Alfred like yeah, in my apartment of course. um <laughs> so uh well because it's just so hard when you have this like tumultuous relationship with New York City and I'm like very I'm deeply in love with New York City right now yeah and so like it's like leaving my like husband is like, leaving New York City is like like leaving a husband that you like are just in love with Ugh, coming home to New York is like the best feeling in the world um and other places are great but that's not it um but anyway uh thanks for listening um now we'll move on to today's guest guys this one's this one's a whammy uh you've most likely read about today's guests in a newspaper or online or seen the recent netflix documentary about her she is an american writer and activist who spent almost four years in an italian prison along with her boyfriend at the time accused of the murder of her roommate meredith kircher the case caused international controversy and an appeal ultimately found both her and the boyfriend rafael salacito not guilty Please welcome to the show, Amanda Knox. You won't let me kiss you. I know you want it too. Why you put up a fight? You should turn out the light. You make me crazy. Won't call me baby. I push and I push and you're still around You're so lazy, but you amaze me I can't believe what I found I'm addicted to you You don't call, so I do Need a fix, cause I'm a I made it through these meetings and it got even to the point where it's like one person was still taking pictures of me while another like the next person from Germany came in and were gonna talk to me and so like the French people were still getting pictures while the Germany people were still trying to talk to me and blah blah blah. and then at the end of all that um, I had one of my first like legitimate panic attacks when I was finally back at the hotel mm-hmm. um, and of course like it's not ever harp- in your life well no 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 because I've had I plenty. was gonna say no no no, no. damn that was your first panic attack That's no no impressive. no 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 like, I had I had plenty of them it's just like after I had gotten out um, I didn't have panic attacks immediately after I got out of prison um, I had plenty of roller coaster ride emotions that I I was struggling with um, but it was mostly um shock like I didn't sleep for a whole week after I got home and uh just because of like overstimulation like oh my you, god you can look mm-hmm. out the window and see so many different things and you can go places and in the meantime paparazzi are like following you everywhere and you can't go to the grocery store without someone like in your face and then 
so okay anyway going back press tour for the the my memoir when it came out um it was one it was one of my first really bad ones and like i said it wasn't harper collins fault because harper collins did everything possible to make me feel safe Mm -hmm. um to make sure that nobody knew like what hotel i was staying at it was under a false name and like and i was very like shepherded from um from like the HarperCollins offices like personally by like the main person in their security force just to make sure that i would feel safe and and no death threats came to fruition and then like that night i i i knew that i had to do one more interview in the morning and i had it was actually i had to do the chris cuomo interview in the morning and it was like kind of a, a at the last minute scheduled thing like I was supposed to go home that night but then they were like actually Chris Cuomo wants to interview you for CNN so you should stay an extra day mm. and I was like okay I, I guess I'll do that and then that night I just could not breathe and I kept like the thing that kept going around in my head was just like why me like mm. why me everything that I just went through why me talking to Chris Cuomo why am I in this hotel room right now like what am I doing here like who who am I anymore that like my whole life has just like gone off in this direction that I never intended like Mm -hmm. if you know like I was just going to be an interpreter that was that was was your initial yeah that was that was going to be me I was just a language nerd yeah Mm -hmm. you know how many languages do you speak I mean fluently only English and Italian right but um I'm pretty proficient um in German and I can like weirdly understand French and Spanish now just because Mm. I'm fluent in Italian yeah because they have similarities yeah Yeah, so unless you're speaking super super fast Spanish at me like I'll overhear you and I'll understand what you're talking about oh damn I can (laughs) I can barely speak one language fluently so that's very impressive (laughs) I don't know words I don't know spellings I feel like though the 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 sense media sensationalizing shit is something that uh, it obviously is happening now all the time and it's exhausting. But like with you, they fucking the, the I didn't realize how much slut shaming was such a huge part of your case. Like mm-hmm. I, I really and 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 that has got to be such a, a I mean that would alone would give me a panic attack because they're taking this narrative and they're taking something about you that is they don't know they don't know you and the in your doc in the documentary about you it the fucking British reporter guy just basically admitted that he's that uh he said that when your headline is read that many times it's almost better than sex yeah and it, and I'm like that's why people do it because whatever that feeling the better than sex feeling that they get this high this the, but there's like kind of an evilness to it because they're promoting something that they know is exaggerated and they don't even know the story behind really I mean that that I feel was it was such a big reason why everybody's so obsessed with the case is because they took it and they were like, look at this. It's a it's a hop long girl. And I think she might have murdered somebody and they're just dangling it. And that must feel so gross. Well, it's it's um, even more than like gross because grossness definitely is a big part of it. Like, you, you know, that like everyone who is talking about your sex life is inevitably also fantasizing about your sex life Mm. and so like that like fear and fantasy are all wrapped up in it so I inevitably like (laughs) I kind of have the impression that a lot of people who hate me have also masturbated to me Oh, (laughs) like so there's that like I mean that's a given always (laughs) yeah um but like I think for me at the very least it's always been more existentially um uh 
frustrating or uh, like it was more of an existential crisis than even like a grossness because like it's not their life and this is all happening initially when you're 20 years old yeah Yeah. so 20 years old like you're already like at this moment you're a baby you're like trying to figure out who you are in the world so already like identity is like an important thing to you and then to be completely stripped of your identity and just kind of and just like the very super the most superficial thing about you is used to define you so like just what you happen to look like and just the fact that you happen to be in a woman's body in a world that objectifies women's bodies and has fantasies about the kinds of things women are and then have that used like literally used to police you and put you in a prison cell yeah, it's weird that women's sexuality is always used to vilify them. Even though everybody wants women to be sexual and they want them to be sexualized. But then everyone's so quick to jump on women. Women just get, I don't know, it, it's, ugh, I've been. I mean, you got to think about like the equivalent for for men, which is like when men get stereotyped and, you know, wrongful convictions happen more often to men than they do to women. Um, what's it, what ends up happening is we like put, we put, famous or or public men into either a hero or a predator role right Mm -hmm. and when it comes to sexuality it you know there is like the predator sexual role and there is the hero sexual role for men for women it's madonna or whore it's madonna or whore and you it's the virgin or whore whore. Mm -hmm. yeah you know like why why isn't there a celebrated figure that's sexual that is respected and i know that like that's that's the kind of like ad campaign that you'll see on the subway where they're like you know we're women who can you know have swagger and be respected at the same time but it's like we're telling ourselves that because we're having to convince the world that Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's we're on defense and and i'm i'm curious like it's weird to when corinne and i first started doing this podcast we were very and it started getting, you know, picking up steam. I was like, man, we're going to get a lot of hate mail from hmm. people because everyone hates a sexualized woman or a woman who's like, I don't care. I fuck. I love fucking whatever. And we it really was shocking that we I mean, there's been articles and like Reddit threads that are terrible, but that it's not. I mean, it was nowhere near as bad yeah, as I, I as I envisioned. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you what, can, have you ever seen your Reddit thread? Have you ever read it? I haven't read. I haven't <laughs> read it. Read I haven't Reddit. read it. But I, I I'm just curious because it's like the most heinous place on the planet. I mean, um, I I haven't scoured Reddit. <laughs> That's probably good. Um, yeah. I have stumbled across certain things that are on Reddit or on certain like MRA sites. Just you know, even in the Those course sites of. Yeah, well, I mean, even just in the course of doing um, the Scarlet Letter reports for Facebook, I was just looking mm-hmm. in to see, like, oh, you know, have have I ever been compared to any of these women? I don't know. Let me find out. Mm-hmm. Um, or what what have these women been compared to? And and when you inevitably like follow the Twitter link that then leads to the MRA article that's like defining how like these women are gaming all the men, and it's all a big conspiracy of yeah. like women using their sexuality to control men, and it's like wow, okay, doesn't feel like it from We're this just side of the equation. Chop off your dicks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Run for the hills. Ugh so fucking annoying was it true that when you were initially imprisoned uh they gave you a false report of having hiv and made you make a list of your lovers so yeah um 
<laughs> I was doing some research <laughs> in that, and I and I came across an, an article from the Irish Examiner, uh, and it seemed to be like written from the perspective of a woman who was pretty sexually empowered, and so that's just a fact. And I was like, that's I mean, besides seemingly being legalish, uh, it's certainly not legal. Yeah. Um, so what what ended up happening was um, in the first like few weeks of my imprisonment I was held in isolation and um, I didn't really have contact with anyone I wasn't really allowed to see anyone I was able to see my lawyer like maybe once or twice what did that look like just a room with walls and okay. no windows okay um so how big was I mean so it's it's not no windows like it wasn't a hole in the ground it was a cell it was just regular cell it was a single cell um, but like all that was in there was, uh, a, a steel bed frame, a rectangle of foam for a mattress, like a wool blanket and, uh, some like television that was mounted on the wall, but wrapped in duct tape and, oh. um, and like garbage bags. So and you so, couldn't watch it. No, I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to have access to the outside world. Mm. No books, no I mean, books, because, like, if they're published 30 years ago, who cares? But, like, yeah. newspapers, I wasn't I wasn't allowed, as a suspect, to have access to the news about the case. Mm-hmm. And so all I was receiving was news from my lawyers, who could only come in, like, once or twice in that time period. And then the, the guards in the prison. And there was this one particular guard who... Um, he, his name is uh, Vice Comandante Argiro. So he was Vice Commander mm-hmm. Argiro. And he brought me into a private office room that was clearly like not being used. It was just an extra um, office room. Um, and he would sit me there and interrogate me um, about my sex life, um, about my my sexual partners, about what underwear I happened to be wearing that day. Mm. He'd want to talk about Meredith. He'd want to talk about whether or not I'd be having sex with Meredith, whether or not I knew who she was having was sex with. Was he like with. jerking off when he was asking well, these no, questions? Well, no, no. So here's the thing. Like he was kind of being like a, he was helping out the investigators because like the investigators had just kind of decided by arresting me that I was somehow involved with my friend's rape and murder and so they were trying to like dig into my sexual history Meredith's sexual history but at the same time he was also like trying to hit on me to see if like I would in some way correspond with that and I'm not sure if it's even because he genuinely wanted to have sex with me it could be that or it was a tactic to try to like see if I would try to sexually manipulate him potentially Mm, right because you know the way that everyone was talking about me was that I was a sexually manipulative femme fatale and Mm -hmm. so he was treat like he was giving me those cues of like I'm ready to talk about sex with you are you ready to seduce me and and I was just like I was just like, oh my God, what is happening right now? Like, can I leave this room? Because he locked the door behind him. So I yeah. don't know where the hell to go. Oh my God. And so... And is it like clear what's legal, what's not? Like what, no, like what you're, you're, you're just... absolutely not. I'd be like, bro, yeah. this is not a time for me to be horny. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Well, and then that and like... Uh, and you mentioned like, do I know what's legal or not? And yeah. it's like, well, no, I don't. Because I had just been interrogated. Like what led me to that prison in the first place uh-huh. was an illegal interrogation where I had been refused a lawyer, where I had been slapped 
slapped where I'd been screamed at for hours and I had spent like 53 hours being interrogated over five days and I was like proficient in Italian like a 10 year old so like no I was gonna say I was like you're still learning the language at that point right so and you're and they and did you have a choice to be interrogated in English or it was just like that wasn't even on the table so uh, this is a small town okay it's like it's not like they had someone on staff who spoke fluent English. Right. You know, I like, think pe- I think people, especially in America, have a misconception that like in every town, there is a guy who speaks English and he's on call. And, like, yeah, it's and not. He's, he's ready to help during your interrogation. Like yeah. I was in Romania, like no one, like when I say no one spoke English, no one spoke English. Like it wasn't even, I was doing hand signals in stores. <laughs> like no one grasped that at all. So I think it's a huge misconception. So, you know, like there was occasionally an interpreter mm-hmm. and, and a lot of wow. time there wasn't. And so you know like there's this issue of like am I just fucking crazy that everyone started treating me in this way that I have like I haven't given them any reason to to treat me this way so what is happening to me so anyway I Mm -hmm. this guy ends up being like the guy who talks to me every day Mm. and he does this like whole thing every day where he's like the special contact person who just like weirdly hits on me in the like at nighttime in a prison Mm. and then I am called in to the doctor's, you know, ward, and I'm told that I've tested positive for HIV because when I first came in, they like took a blood sample, they took the like, hair or whatever, and I know that's normal for any prisoner taking. A I blood. mean, I don't even know what's fucking normal. Right, okay, like, I don't know. I don't know what's normal for them to do. Like when I was in the like. When I was in the police station, I was stripped naked and photographed, and like had a male doctor like playing with my genitals what and like playing like touching opening right photographing like that but you but like i don't know what's legal like yeah. right and it's unclear they have no reason country. To- yeah oh my god okay. well i mean the right yeah the rights are i mean aren't the same but i just also wouldn't have any idea what they were in um, america um, or a male Italy. doctor looked into your vagina and, and, and took a picture Did yeah you i had this, like so, a gynecological stirrups or well no i wasn't in gynecology or gynecological stirrups i was just stripped naked and i had to stand there in the room and spread my legs yeah as mm. he like went in there mm-hmm. and i don't know what it, you know like maybe uh. he was looking to see if i had signs of being raped but no one asked me right they yeah. just said strip naked took a bunch of photographs of me and then brought me to prison. Mm-hmm. And so came to this medical ward in the prison unit and um, and the doctor told me that I had tested positive for HIV. And I immediately started crying and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like yeah. on top of everything else, I'm gonna die. And, and this guy who was there, who somehow has also access to the like medical unit when I'm in there, was like, well, you shouldn't have slept with so many people then. <laughs> and mm. and mm. I was just like, well, you don't understand. Like, I, I've always used protection. It's not like I've even slept with that many people. I've only slept with like seven people in my whole life. Like, what are you ta- like? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, maybe you should think about that. Maybe you should Ooh. go back into your room and think about that. Oh, my God. Maybe you should, you know, really think about all those people that you've had sex with because very likely they're the ones who gave it to you and maybe you gave it to other people. And so you should just go back to your cell and think about that. Amanda, I cannot believe how sane you are. <laughs> I cannot believe how sane of a woman you are. Uh, you are so elegant and composed. And, oh, my God. I'd be punching every guy that looked at me. Well, I imagine, I, I mean, so like, infuriated. slut shaming does still take a backseat, I guess, when you're convicted like, or Murder, being charged yeah. with murder. Yeah. I'm guessing yeah. I would get but I mean, on top of all that is, it's like the yeah. mind fuck after mind fuck so after you 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 find this out how long until you found out that that wasn't the case 
So yeah, I went back into my room. I started writing in this like notebook that I had been given, um, and I, it was my little diary that I was oh. using. Um, and I was writing, like, I don't want to die. I wrote down everyone that I'd ever had sex with because I was trying to be like, did something happen? Did some like, did some mistake happen? Did yeah. a condom break? Like, what happened? And then the very next day, Vice Comandante Arjiro came into my cell and confiscated my diary and then gave it to the police, who then gave it to the press. I was going to say that ended up in the press ultimately, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, yeah, and that's just like one small aspect because like I was in, in the courtroom, my prosecutor was portraying me, he was using words like adulteress and, um, and, you know, evil, like he was using diabolical, um, a, a civil attorney in there called me Luciferina. He compared me. Um, Jesus. Yeah, he's, God, what was what was the phrase? He said that I had a double soul and that I looked on the outside like a saint because I was really a demon inside. And yeah, so was I was trying to write a novel. Jesus Christ, that is such an odd I way mean, to, I mean, he's, he's a dramatic human, as I noticed from the documentary, and he reeks of just, Ugh. But were your lawyers uh, fighting those specific points of like, you have no grounds for saying these things? Was anybody saying that? Um, my lawyers were focusing on the the facts of the case that were most relevant, like mm-hmm. whether or not there was DNA, um, like my DNA in, in the crime scene, which there wasn't. And they were trying to like make that very important point. Like how could she have committed this crime if right. her DNA isn't even there? Like she can't just like float around the room, clean up only her DNA and leave like a bloody gruesome crime scene mm-hmm. for everyone, you know, yeah. for the taking. So like, how is it possible? And they, so they were, they were battling against the things that they felt were most damning to me, which were, you know, DNA evidence or the fact that I had been interrogated for 53 hours without, and you know, without uh, any kind of legal assistance. Mm -hmm. And and I was like coerced into making some kind of implicating statement, you know, like that was what they were focused on. And I think that like, that was them giving people more credit than, than they realized. uh, I think that they really genuinely thought that people would look at me and really see me because when they came to visit me in the prison cell like they were like oh my god you are so clearly like not the person that everyone is talking about all we have to do is like put you in a room with people and they'll see you Mm -hmm. and that was not what happened what like people saw what they wanted to see yes and because they always will and that's one of i feel like that's one of the reasons why the, the headlines of it all got so swept up and people got so obsessed with it because they're like, oh, I want to vilify this person. This is fun. I'm getting pleasure out of this and, and out, of, out, of, out of reading the next article about how much she's a horse. It's just so, oh, God. Well, and it seems like the prosecution was really just dealing with more like uh, trying to trample your character. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what other, what other things were they trying to present besides like a character, like annihilation? Uh, like what was the prosecution? Yeah, what case? was? Yeah, what? I mean, what were they saying? If DNA is on your side, what? I mean, they were claiming that DNA was on their side. So okay. they were saying, okay. well, it doesn't matter that Amanda Knox's DNA isn't in the crime scene; she uh-huh. just must have cleaned it. And you know, it doesn't. Oh, you know, I like, mean, that anyone kind of who's thing. watched like five that's minutes like a of a true crime knows that's like almost impossible to do in this day and age. But no one. But no one. Yeah. And they were like focusing on the fact that like. You know, after 53 hours of interrogation, they got me to make a confusing, 
mm-hmm. statement. Yeah. That didn't make any sense that I immediately retracted, but it didn't matter. Right. They had done the thing that made me look like a not a credible person. Uh, yeah. And then after it was, traumatizing and manipulating you. Yeah. And so they were focusing on saying like my behavior was wrong. Like I didn't show enough grief or I showed too much grief or like I was just a strange person and no innocent person could act that way. And that was what they really relied on. And that was what fueled their own investigation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, they they were responding to their own kinds of biases and to the pressure, like, to the emotional and charged atmosphere of, like, a young woman being inexplicably murdered. So there's that to consider. You know, my prosecutor is a father of four daughters, and he really, really identified with Meredith's family, and he was disgusted with what happened to Meredith, and he he did not realize how much his investigative intuition was being informed not by the evidence, but by bias. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like... I, I'm not looking at any of the people that did this to me as like, you know, or even like the people who are like reading those magazines as people who are kind of sitting there maliciously going, ha ha ha, this is so fun to like take down a woman. Like I'm not right. thinking that that's how it is. Yeah. I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's that we all have fears and fantasies. We all are on the lookout to, to have those fears and fantasies confirmed. And we don't always, you know, we don't always stop to ask ourselves, if we are believing something because we have reason to or if because or if it's because we want to and, mm-hmm. and when they want i feel like when people want to believe something i think it's very evident in like the political atmosphere currently they will grab they will hold on to that and clutch it so tight because the fear of them being proven wrong is like the worst thing in the world it oh seems. yeah which is so interesting that people identify themselves with their beliefs that's uh and and so when you were in solitary confinement for how many days so i I don't even remember because it was so confusing but i was so my imprisonment experience was odd i mean rafael my Mm co-defendant um he was in solitary for the entire duration so he was in solitary for uh four years um i was only in isolation for eight months so that meant that like the way the prison and the only reason is because the prison wasn't structured in such a way that I could be held in solitary like uh. solitary was for me a cell on the same cell block as everyone else but like I was locked in there and I couldn't leave and I couldn't leave the room and I had no access to the outside world being in isolation was when they moved me to a a room that was exactly the same but I was allowed to have access to the television but I wasn't allowed to have any contact with other prisoners mm. And because it was like a really small prison, what that ended up looking like was I had a cellmate and I was allowed to talk to her, but I was not allowed to talk to anyone else and I was never allowed in public spaces in the prison. Mm -hmm. And then after those eight months, I was just put into regular circulation. When you had a cellmate, what did you guys talk? Did you try and talk about just shit that was just to... Just, I don't even know, your favorite food? or Because how do you save your mental state in that environment? I mean, it depends on the cellmate. Um, was she cool or was she like... Well, my... so I had different I, ones, right? I had, yeah. uh, I had many so, different ones. Yeah, okay. because there was... I mean, I was there for four years and, you know, some people get out. Some right. people... Sometimes things don't work out. Um, my first cellmate was um, a very, very mentally ill woman. Ah. Um, 
extremely mentally ill. Um, and so we didn't really talk about much. Also because I didn't really speak the language very well. I was just kind of scared of her because she was like covered in self-inflicted wounds. Mm. And I didn't oh. really know what to do about that. Um, and then the next cell that I was in, uh, older lady um, who uh, w- like did like a lot of like, you know, a hand like st- like knitting type and crocheting. Things. Okay, yeah, gotcha. like crocheting. We weren't allowed to knit. We were allowed to crochet, and so she taught me how to crochet, and I crocheted a bunch. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was fine. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> crochet a bunch. Um, and then my the cellmate after that was a young woman who I thought we were going to get along really well because she was with it and um, and like was even like studying. She had been in the prison for a while. She had been in prison since she was very young. Oh, she wow. even claimed to have been innocent. And, you know, I could even believe that she was innocent. But by the time I got to her, she um, she had like her her the the prison environment had aggravated OCD tendencies in Mm. her where it's like, oh, I have no control over my life, but I have control over how clean my room is. And so like it got to the point where like I wasn't actually allowed to touch anything. And so I was just allowed to sit on my bed and and like read my books and I wasn't allowed to like touch anything. Um, so was you know, she scary? Was she like, I'll punch bitch, I'll punch you in the face if you touch my bed kind of thing? Or like how because or were you just you, you wanted to abide by that just to not I mean, ruffle? I'm, I did not want to ruffle her feathers at all. I don't think that I ever I mean, I did. I was afraid that she might hit me, but like I don't think that she would have like gouged my eyes out or anything right that's like good. that's good that's good quality I don't in a roommate think, well you know like i've had roommates where i know that sure. other lady might yeah. yeah yeah so she she just seemed like um a deeply hurting person who didn't have control over anything and i didn't like again like i'm not a trained psychologist yeah. so i don't really know how to navigate that situation i just tried to like let her have her space and the unfortunate thing about that was her space also happened to meet my space. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't really have mm-hmm. a say. But, at, you know, honestly, like, I spent a lot of time in prison just in my own head. Yeah. I wore earplugs most of the time because I just uh. didn't want to hear people, like, screaming. And I li- read books. I mean, how often are you, like, in danger? I mean, I know, like, a lot of times in TV shows it's portrayed as, like, p- prisoners just beating the shit out of each other and prison guards not doing anything. Is that accurate? Is that... is uh, and, and sexual assault, does that happen? Okay. So I don't know about, like, if... I, I mean, I think it depends prison to prison, very honestly. Yeah. Um, in my prison in particular, um, it's not like people were getting beat up every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like uh, an average day, no one got beat up. People tended to get along. There was always like, um, there was always a kind of simmering anxiety because we were animals locked up in cages. So, of course, there's going to be like a simmering anxiety and we're all in desperate circumstances. And there was a lot of camaraderie in that. But, you know, like at the drop of a penny, like somebody could f- just flip and, um, and you you didn't see it coming like mm. no one ever attacked me because i ended up being a very useful person to have around like i was how the, so well i was one of the only people in that whole place that was literate 
Oh, oh damn. Mm. Like, I was the only person there who had all of my teeth still. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. And the vast majority of the women that I was imprisoned with were immigrants. And so they didn't speak the language and or they didn't know how to read or write. So I translated their court documents for them oh. i wrote their letters for them what an angel no no like it was self-preservation well, <laughs> like yeah well, oh, of course yeah <laughs> like, i mean wow. sure like i felt bad for them and everything but like you know i'm i i i needed a task i mean well, I having purpose that. is a big part of what it yeah. is to be human so i imagine that that kept you alive and it's also like giving yourself a job which yeah you know we all hate our job well a lot of i don't hate my job a lot of people hate their jobs but it's like a job it gives you something to do or a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah, so. yeah. I wanted something purposeful. And right. like, you know, after I was wrongfully convicted, like I was facing 26 years in prison. And mm-hmm. so I had to figure out like what that meant and what like my life meant and who I was if I was only allowed to exist in that environment. And if I was the oh. literate one, if I was the one who could translate, like I was happy to do that. Yeah. Right. And so like, so you're arrested and you, at the time you're, when you're arrested, you're still dating Raphael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so what do you, what happened? I mean, when's the next time you see him? What happens mm-hmm. to your relationship? I'm so curious. Like, do you just like, oh, we're in prison now. I guess we broke up or like what? Well, so we knew each other for five days. We had been dating for like five days. Oh, okay. We yeah, it was okay, like so it's that new whirlwind okay. romance. It yeah, seems yeah. Like you guys had like, oh, it made me re- look back to like my first or second boyfriend of just like being you young someone. and obsessed and just like, oh, I just want to lick your skin. Yeah, well, and it was just so sweet because like he. He recognized that like I was new to this place and so like of course I should have like the Italian experience I should like Mm -hmm. an Italian woman I should have an Italian perfume and we should go to Gubbio and eat truffles and like do the Italian thing and he is like the good Italian guy was like oh I can't wait to like he he wanted me to meet his parents like he told me he wanted me to meet his parents Damn, like, Raphael, like that's three soon. days in well that's why i was so <laughs> were, you, were you freaked there's out or so not? much stuff that it says <laughs> you did together and i was like i can't believe this all happened in five days mm-hmm. wow uh, sometimes when you get obsessed with somebody you're just like oh when are we having kids i don't get oh yeah, it's yeah only but been a it week. was sweet like we're yeah, both yeah. like so stupid like young, young yeah and like excited and then this happened and you know, he went through just as terrible of yeah. as an interrogation oh my as God. I did. Yeah. And so like he got scared and confused and was coerced into saying things. And I got scared and confused and was coerced into saying things. And then we weren't even allowed to talk to each other during the investigation. So there's eight months that go by. Mm-hmm. He, um, I think the first thing that he did, um, the first contact I had with him was on my birthday in July right after the interrogation or sorry the investigation was over and he sent me flowers somehow I don't know how like I don't know how you can even do like I'm still to this day don't even know how he was allowed to send me flowers for my birthday and they arrived and he was just like I'm I'm here like we're gonna survive this oh my goodness and I was just like that's so that like that's so sweet but at the same time I was also like I've just spent the last eight months in prison. Yeah. And like uh, the last thing not ready on for a relationship mind, right now. Right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> sending me flowers. <laughs> well, I mean, he was like, we were in, we were in a well, shitty situation. Yeah. And he did like the, the, the it's most a sweet obvious thing that a guy would do. <laughs> and you hadn't gotten, you had, no one had been, oh, it God. seemed like not anybody had been nice or kind or respectful towards you this whole yeah. time. Yeah. So those flowers were probably like, they meant the world. Oh my God. We were, we were, we were under siege together and we had 
this incredible struggle to get through that we thought would be over like every day we thought it would like somebody would realize that it was all a big mistake and it would all be over and every day went by and nothing happened nothing happened kept getting worse and kept getting worse and so like the next time I actually saw him was when we were having our first initial you know trial hearing you're hearing yeah yeah Yeah. so how did you Hmm. when did you tell your parents when did I tell my parents yeah because that I mean because I wouldn't even have thought of that until I'm in prison and I realize, oh, yeah, shit, mom and dad think I'm just studying in Italy. I got to tell them. Like, how did they find out? Oh, no, like immediately after, like, I didn't even know Meredith was dead yet by the time I was calling my mom and I was like, something's wrong. Oh, shit. Because, like, I came home to my house and I found the front door totally wide open and nobody was there and like I noticed some weird things in the house and I didn't know what to make of them so like I immediately did the first thing that comes to mind and I called my mom yeah and I was like mom what do you think like I don't think there's like I don't think anything's been stolen I I can't really tell like why the front door was open and she was like well what does Raphael think and I was like well he I I, he's at his apartment I should go get him we'll go and look at it and then I'll tell you and so like you know, he was the one who immediately, you know, was calling the police as soon as we got back to the house and found like we opened one of my um, roommate's doors and found that her window had been broken. And we were like, shit, it's a break in. Oh, so God. he called the cops because I can't talk to cops. I don't have enough vocabulary to do right. that. And I'm calling my mom and I'm yeah. like, mom, there's been a break in like, uh, you know, and she was like, are you safe? Are you OK? Is Raphael there? Like, are the police coming? And so like I was talking to my mom the entire way through it and indeed you know I was telling her about all these like hours of questioning that I was going through and she got the mom tingle feelings like something's wrong like they shouldn't be questioning you so much like you've already answered all your questions why do they keep making you answer the same questions over and over and I kept reassuring her that that, like they kept just telling me that I was Meredith's friend and it was important that I help them and so like they were Mm. like telling me that I was important to the investigation and that I should just continue helping them whatever that meant and my mom was like you know what I'm coming to Italy and she said this like on the phone to me of course by this time my phones were wiretapped so the police knew that my mom was coming. They knew from our phone conversations that my mom was arriving on a certain date. And that date happened to be the day after they interrogated me and arrested me. Mm. Fuck. So Those bitches. they knew that like as yeah. soon as my mom arrived, like they wouldn't have the full access to me that they did. And if and they, they were going to arrest me as much, probably exactly. because your mom could say like, honey, this is not, this is my mom know, would have gotten me a normal. lawyer. We would have gone to the embassy. Fuck. Like, God so they it. just saw the opportunity of their opportunity window closing. And they were like, we got to arrest this bitch now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So make her Damn. say something. Damn. Mm. So what's happening in your life? I'm kind of going to go backwards before the murder. Like, what is going on in your life? How long have you been in Italy uh, before all this goes down? Oh, um, I had only been in Italy for like a month. Okay. Um, I So this, like, I arrived in Europe around like the end of August, and I was staying in Germany with my aunt who lives in Germany. And I stayed there for like a month, and then only once it was sometime in like mid-September did I move down and like find and sp- find a spot because mm-hmm. it's part of in. school right you're studying yeah. abroad yeah okay. so I was studying you know like the semester started I think classes started at the beginning of October 
and it was still like bright and sunny at that time which like blew my mind coming from (laughs) Seattle um and so yeah I wasn't there for very long I was just I was 20 I just turned 20 over the over the summer Mm -hmm. and and you seemed like um the some of the footage of you before like you're like a fun you seem like a fun Oh, (laughs) I watch those footages or that footage now and I'm like, oh God, how embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah, but you're you're 20, 19, however you are. Like I I was, I was, I was just, I thought I was the shit when I was 19 and it was not. But uh, you you seem like you had like a very (laughs) um, fun life, a fun, charismatic personality. I liked people, yeah. I I think um, people were right to call me bubbly. Yeah. I just like, I, I very much just liked being around people and I was very like, open about like oh yeah you're, you're gonna do a tiramisu party i'll come and i'll bring my guitar and it'll be great oh, yeah. you're, like, you're the guitar girl yeah that's i'm the guitar rad. <laughs> but the one who like can't really play the guitar all yeah that that's well. the kind of guitar girl yeah. i am <laughs> okay. i have a piano i don't really know it but you know hot cross mm-hmm. buns is hot if you but you have it party in player. this very small apartment which means that you've committed to oh me. hell yeah <laughs> yeah i'm downloading sheet music but. And um, so, so I mean, so like, I want to do more a traditional interview, not just talk about you know this, which I'm sure you're sick of talking about uh, yeah. for your mm-hmm. entire life. I mean, it's interesting because I know you decided to kind of like become an activist, write about it. You've done work with the Innocence Project, mm-hmm. which uh, I love. Oh, yeah. I've watched a lot of uh, stuff about that. Um, and so is that is kind of you feel like something bad happened to me and now this is going to be my calling. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else. Or do you have other things that you want to do? professionally or personally so um yeah it's like once again I have a very complicated answer to your very like I love it well meaning acute question (laughs) um so when I first got home I didn't want to have any I didn't want to be an activist like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go back to being me like I just wanted to go back to being you know a, a, a creative writing and like language student and I just I didn't want this like thing that had happened to me to define me because I didn't do any of it. Like, right. I was just kind of there yeah. and it was swirling around me and like lots of people were taking lots of actions and making lots of decisions and none of them consulted me. None of them like right. cared about like how I felt about it. Like I had nothing to do with it. And so it didn't Did you still feel, feel like yourself at the time? Or like did you have a recollection or did this? Uh, did you feel like this whole process like changed like at the core who you are or did you still feel like I know me and I still feel like me because your 20s like I was my goal in my 20s was to find myself and it was difficult I can't fucking imagine going through that and then who am I I don't know well because okay so when I first got home um obviously I had changed because I I had gone through so much pain um and so much loneliness um like i had i had had to grapple with whether or not i felt that my life was worth living i like i had gone through all of that of course mm-hmm. um but i thought that i would go back to who i was before once i finally got out of prison mm-hmm. so i was convinced that like i would turn back into like that bubbly person that i that i was and it's not like I had like my personality had fundamentally changed. It's just I had I had a broader range of experiences and therefore there was there was I had there were more shades 
to me like you know if I was like bright yellow when I went in I was now like you know there were places of like you know gold and then also like gray and like mixed in with all of that like yellow that was still yellow but it was it it had depth and it, it and it was dirty and it was complicated um and it took me a while to really come to terms with the fact that like whether or not I wanted what had happened to me to be a part of me I didn't have a choice mm-hmm. like I couldn't just like put it aside resisting it would not do any no, good and, it seems. in fact it was hurting me to resist it mm-hmm. and one of the things that actually gave me hope that like somehow it could be something that had to finally had to do with me by the way I reacted to it was um, this girl I met in a poetry class that I was taking at the UW. So, like, I didn't make friends at the time. Like, there there were very After few, you came back. Yeah, after I came back, because, like, there were very few people I felt like I could trust, and I had good yeah. reason not to trust them. Like, I had people in my classes who were taking photographs of me and putting them online mm. alongside really unkind commentary. Like, this one guy in my math class was talking about how he was going, like, he was telling his snowboard, uh, snowboarding friends online that he was gonna like seduce me and pee in my butt and okay what? first of all that's not even possible <laughs> fucking idiot <laughs> right you have to get it well it's all that matters How, is his fantasy and when did you find that out that he did that and did you i mean because kids are stupid you're you're a calm <laughs> you're a calm lady but man i would have been like i would have gone up to him and be like do you want to read this to my face you want to well, say this to my face what i did was i went to i went to the teacher and I said, what do I do? Yeah. Um, because I don't feel safe. And they had a talking with him. And I initially was angry, um, angry enough to be like some, a student who talks like that to another or says that about another student shouldn't be on this campus. And the people who I spoke to at my college said, well, you know, kids say a lot of things and they don't always mean them. And this kid was just running his mouth. And so let us talk to him. Let us let like let us use this as a learning opportunity for him to realize that his words have consequences mm. and let that be the result. And and I like came around to that. Like that was I was that gonna was say, how did you feel about me. that when they said that? I mean, I also looked I was by this time like twenty four and this was like an eighteen year old. Yeah. Kid. Oh yeah. You know, like an 18-year-old kid yeah. who, like, thinks he knows shit. And, yeah. like, and you've had I a couple other experiences to... under your belt at that point. Yeah, so. well, and I just, yeah. like, I look at everyone and I think, like, what is the context to their situation? Mm-hmm. Like, even if, you know, even my prosecutor is, like, a grown-ass man who should know better. Right. And yet he's informed by things that are also not entirely within his control like he he his actions are in part governed by his cultural upbringing and Mm -hmm. his his like deep not even conscious like desires and 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 impulses to vilify and punish things according to like conscious processes like he he has a bad relationship with female sexuality and I don't I don't think that that is entirely intentional on his part I think that to fully understand him and why he did this to me I have to recognize that 
mm-hmm. just yeah. like I have to recognize that this kid doesn't look at ce- like someone who he considers a celebrity. True, and that's and a total other factor. A the celebrity part of it, and you're like, I didn't fucking. Uh-huh. Were you? Did you know when you came back to Seattle? Did you know how much it had blown up? Not to the extent that it had. Like everyone who visited me, like would occasionally say, like, "Hey, just so you know, this thing is way bigger than you even imagine." Like, you don't even know. Because, like, I was in a prison cell. I only had access to, like, right. five channels of Italian television and, and Italian newspapers. And if, like, somebody happened to send me a newspaper from some other part of the world, like, that's how I would have access to it. I did not have direct access to it. The The most I could imagine how much it was was the fact that, like, every time I walked into the courtroom, the courtroom was flooded with cameras. Okay. But, like... Even that is like, I don't know what those cameras are doing with them. Like, I don't know who these people are. I'm not seeing the outcome and I'm not seeing how much people are talking about it or like talking about not just the case, right. but also like Foxy Noxy, would you fucker or wouldn't ya? And like, like all those like just like stupid petty bullshit that yeah. came with being Foxy Noxy. Like I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then when I came home to Seattle, I kind of had this like weirdly positive effect where, you know, people didn't show up at the airport. Hundreds of people at the, didn't show up at the airport to protest me coming home. Hundreds of people showed up to welcome me home. Oh, thank mm-hmm. God. Yeah, like there was, a, there was a press conference I had to deal with, which I wasn't prepared for. Ugh. But behind all those cameras were hundreds of people from Seattle holding up signs saying, welcome home, Amanda. And like that blew my mind. Like for weeks later, Mm. like my local record store had the sign, like instead of like, you know, upcoming Macklemore CD, it was like, welcome home, Amanda. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like not only have all these people heard everything that just went down, but like they all care. Wow. So. Oh, my God. Like, why would anyone Whew. care? Like, Well, I think deep down a lot of people, you know, when abroad have a, like a broke down palace kind of fear. I mean, like, I'm going to go away. Something's going to happen. Or maybe that's just I have that fear. How? Of being like of disappearing? Of like just going and like uh, or like being in, in, like wrongly imprisoned, like number one, the worst thing. And then in a, a country that you're not familiar with extra mm-hmm. bad. Cause I mean, I <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I've spent uh, years like following the Damien Eccles case. Mm-hmm. Obviously. I mean, I can't even, I literally have run into him on the subway and isn't he the best and like to have a, and I was like, I'm sure you guys have Are you guys friends. Met. I mean, yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> so I haven't seen him in a while because he's here and but yeah. like Lori, his wife mm-hmm. and him are, the, so so smart and so kind and yeah. like are just so grounded and they've they helped me through a really bad time Let i was gonna say, say you that. guys have a lot the, like that's great that you guys could connect because then he was you know famous and stuff and it's like that those layers i mean you both experienced those layers that's crazy yeah and you know like talk about like being stereotyped like you're the weirdo kid so you must be a predator right yeah. you must be a satan worshiper like no it's just a kid yeah mm-hmm. just a kid who likes to wear black 
coats. How? (laughs) Come on. What was your relationship with your own sexuality before all this and then when you came home to Seattle? Like how? Like I look at my sexuality. It's a big part of me. Did you lose? How do you do you keep that? Do you do you just put it on a on a shelf? How do you how? I Mm -hmm. God, um, I feel bad for like all the guys that I know who have been wrongfully convicted and who've spent like decades inside because when I've heard them talk about like their sexuality and how they dealt with it in prison, they don't often talk about it for the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when they have, um, it's often like I just turned off a part of myself and like, and they say it in this kind of like, you know, you just got to turn off a part of yourself. And like for me, the idea that you are turning off, like if you are just completely cutting the limb of like that part of yourself away from you because you, you're you not allowed to express it, you're not allowed, like you're, it's only going to torture you in that environment, like that broke my heart. Yeah. I learned how to masturbate in prison. <laughs> so I was going to ask that. <laughs> Wait, you, I, mean you learned how to masturbate in prison or you, that was the first time you were masturbating was in prison? I didn't. Okay. No, I mean, Whoa. I hear you. I, I, I didn't masturbate until so I was 20, like, right? until I was like 18, I would say. So, I mean. Yeah, I was, a, yeah. I was a late bloomer too. I was just like, I didn't really figure that out. I was going to say, you could use your sexual, I, I was curious if you would use your sexuality as like, a, let me just only be in this part of myself for just a little bit. Well, did someone teach you it. or did you? No, no. You just like oh rub my up God, against yeah. something? No, I mean, it, I mean. I, it's not like I accidentally stumbled upon like a bedpost and I was like, you oh, know, that's how it happened to me. <laughs> okay. No. Like I, I was, I was like just six. like in bed and what would, what would happen is like some nights you can't sleep and mm-hmm. you know, I didn't take any medication. Most of the people in the prison were taking like antidepressants or stuff for their um, drug addiction. And mm-hmm. so it would usually just like conk them out as soon as they like took that med. And so what I would do is I would find myself, alone in my cell well not alone in my cell everyone else is asleep yeah, they were yeah they, they were, were asleep out. so they were out and i had a limited window between when the guard passed and like walked the block and yeah. then passed again because they would just like look in on you and like i couldn't take a shower without someone looking in on me and that kind of thing and so like what i, I knew it was about five minutes and so what oh, I would, that is such a short amount of time it's such a short <laughs> oh amount God, of time so it's like you just have to like click into it and you know, like I, so you, and it's quiet. So like you hear like the thump, like, you know, the mm-hmm. yeah. their boots down the thing and you just kind of like listen for it. And like, so a part of yourself is trying to like turn that away. Yeah. And you're trying to be like, oh, that like really cute guy that I met once. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Raphael, Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then, but also paying attention to that because you don't want the guard, like I would, I did not want the guard to like, be a part of my very private moment. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's like you don't want mom and dad to walk in, but it's a prison prison version of that, which is you know terrifyingly worse. Um, when you came, so when you came back initially to Seattle, positive reaction. Did you then experience any slut shaming in America? And then, if so, what was the difference between Italian slut shaming and American? Kind of going off because I just I know I follow Asia Argento a lot, and mm. I know with the Harvey Weinstein case, like the Italian women have been less than supportive of her and I didn't know if there was kind of like a cultural difference in how you were treated as a sexual person a woman I mean I um with Asia it's frustrating because like if anything 
Italy treats the has like the Madonna horror dichotomy even more just like deeply embedded in like oh like women are either or Mm-hmm. Wow. It's just that's just like they're just way more blatant about it. Yeah, here it's, it's so more surprising. like sub yeah. like here it's more subliminal. Like hmm. no one will say, you know, women are either whores or good women, but like they'll act like it. Yeah. And they'll treat you a certain they'll treat you like the bad kind of woman when they feel entitled to. Which is worse, you think? I mean they're both shitty, but I having mean, somebody act one way and say something else to me would ugh. Um, I mean, I've, I honestly, I've not actually thought that much about how Italy and the U.S. and the U.K. are different in this regard because I'm just fully aware of how they're very similar. Uh, <laughs> got it, got it. So, like, yeah. I didn't, I, uh, I was slut shamed here just as much as I was slut shamed there. It's just I was in a prison cell over there, so yeah. like the slut shaming came in a in a certain kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. I would in the courtroom, I was being portrayed in a very particular way. Um, the the male guards would um, be very handsy. Like really? That, oh yeah. Like um, the first Fourth of July that I was in prison, um, this guard who was in charge of like his job was to like make sh- he was kind of like a maintenance guy who was also a guard. Uh. And his job was like if something stopped working the cell, like say the shower had stopped working, he brought in some like guys to come and fix it and he would be the guard who was kind of managing those like maintenance guys. And this one time my shower stopped like the drain stopped working just would flood up and so I asked for assistance from the maintenance people and this one male guard came in and was like show me and just himself, he was just like, you, Amanda, show me the, the drain. And so I went into the bathroom to show him. And then he grabbed me and, like, pulled me into him. Hmm. And I had to, I don't even know, like, what move I did. Because I didn't even, like, I didn't push back against him. I just kind of, like, slipped out from underneath him. Like, it, it, it. it it's weird because I get that like deer in headlights thing where like my brain turns off and like my body just kind of like it. I think my body crumpled in on itself as I like Whoa. saw it happening to me like from above and I just kind of like crumpled into myself and then as soon as like he wasn't like didn't have his clutches on me like I just bolted for the the cell like from the bathroom. and you had a cellmate in the cell. Um, the cellmate, yeah, I did have cellmates in the cell at the time, but they weren't in the bat. Like, there's oh. two parts of it, and there was okay. like the bathroom area where you could close the door. Mm. Oh, jeez! And then what? What was the interaction after that? Was he like he just came out, and then he, of, fi- like, nothing he happened. did he fix it, and then he just walked out? Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus Christ! Uh, what? W- so, how long after uh, you're back in America? Do you have like find it in yourself to have either like a sexual meaningful like sexual relationship romantic relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. like when do you find that trust again so I didn't make new friends but the thing that I was very fortunate with was that I had many many friends from before in fact like I had like all of my college friends would come all the way out from the University of Washington and like take, you know, like a half hour bus ride out to West Seattle to my mom's house and stay over 
in the night so that they could be there at six o'clock in the morning when I had my 10 fin- 10 minute phone call every week mm. so like I had oh like, my god yeah and I had like I had a friend at the UW who like came and lived in Italy for a year so that she could come visit me in prison wow. oh wow so like I I had very very good friends and yeah. of those friends one of them was a guy that I had dated yeah and we kind of rekindled when I got home and he was the first person that I was sexual with afterwards. And so How I felt very was safe that? with him. Yeah, okay. that's great that you had the, this past with him and that you trusted him. How was that, though? Like, did you get, did you enjoy it? Did, were you, I mean... Or was, like, having sex for the first time again? Because it had it been was, so long. Yeah, it was very, it was very much like having sex for the first time again. And it was also very much, like, he was very mindful like he was it's not like he was like when we're gonna fuck yeah yeah. like no he wasn't like that in fact like um you know he was even reticent to like be at first like you know he was like the last thing you need right now is like a relationship like I just want to like be around you and I'm like you know so it was very much like this this organic like we're spending time together we're talking um and at a certain point like we were just cuddling and he like he was very slow to be physical like he would he was very mindful like is this okay how does this like he was asking me the whole time um and I was very very self-conscious of my body because really I I mean in prison I was only ever touched by guards Mm -hmm. um and they were usually only touching me to strip search me so like I got to the point where I was like twitchy yeah even when like my family members touched me like I remember like my friend who came and lived in Perugia for a year she came and visited me one day and like brushed an eyelash off my cheek and I like jolted because I wasn't used to people touching me kindly anymore and so like what she would do is she would like give me hand massages when I like in visitation just like someone would touch me nice for like an hour and I was only allowed like six visitations a month that lasted an hour each so it's like you know I got six hours a month of being touched nicely and so then I find myself in an environment where it's like I'm I'm being intimate with somebody and that somebody happens to be one already like familiar with me mm-hmm. and two like just a, a very mindful person like he just yeah. was a very mindful person I was very lucky um I've not I've been unlucky with other people since then mm-hmm. um how so were they not mindful or were they in uh, the opposite of, like even more extreme than that no um so I you know what? Actually, maybe I don't want to get into that particular occurrence. Um, so instead, I'll tell you another good story, which is um, I one of the things that it's 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 hard to be intimate, and it's hard to also be in a relation. Like it's hard to meet somebody new. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, like I said, I didn't make friends, and. Um, And oftentimes I even wondered if like people loved me for who I had been as opposed for who I was now. Mm -hmm. Like there was always that like struggle because everyone had, you know, grown up and changed. And and I think that people were learning who I was again, just like I was learning who I was again because of everything that had happened. 
one person um, who I deeply, deeply cared about seemed to, I, I realized over a few months that he loved the idea of me more than he actually loved me. Mm-hmm. And that was problematic yeah like you know I'm not Joan of Arc you don't get to worship me I'm just a person and I'm just trying to like do my best in the world and sometimes I'm gonna do it well and sometimes I'm gonna do it not so well and I'm mm-hmm. I'm just not I'm not you mm-hmm. know um but then you know something wonderful happened um when I you know still wasn't really making new friends I was working in journalism I was doing a lot of like especially arts correspondence, and I was doing it um, anonymously because the last thing I needed as a mm. budding journalist was people then going like you know ripping apart my you know clumsy journalism in order to like define to pull the murder. something out of yeah. it that is yeah. so irrelevant. You know, yeah. so um, one day in my inbox came this I. Um, this new novel that had come out by a local like authors mm-hmm. like these two best friend authors who wrote a book that was gritty and sexy and funny and sad and I wrote all of those things in the review because I really liked it mm-hmm. um, and I, the next day after I had turned in my review I walked out of my apartment building and I noticed that in the diner across the street there was this flyer for this exact book that I had just reviewed and there was going to be a book reading and I was like oh shit I've got nothing to do I'll go to this book reading see what these these two dudes are actually all about and so I showed up and they did you know they're they're like really sweet like obviously one was like nerdier than the other and and (laughs) one was like kind of broier than the other and and they had a great dynamic um, and I asked them like can I interview you guys you know I've never met two best friends that write books with each other <laughs> yeah, that's right. so cute. yeah you know it's so cute and so they invited <laughs> me over and I did the interview but we also ended up like having so- or scotch and watching Star Trek and wandering into the evening and like <laughs> talking everything from like love and life to whatever and at the end of that night the kind of broier one named Gavin gave me this like big bear hug and the nerdier one named Chris shook my hand and <laughs> said we should be friends. Oh. And that was right after the Supreme Court had f- definitively acquitted me and like for the first time I was like holy shit, I can have friends. Mm-hmm. Like I can just I I can have peers who are like friends who like and two both Gavin and Chris's benefit like to their credit they befriended me and they did not google me they didn't you know look at all the articles and bullshit like they just hung out with me yeah and they you know occasionally I would bring up anecdotes about some prison thing that something (laughs) reminded me of and they were like totally chill about it and didn't make a big deal about it yeah and you know by the time that Chris and I started dating um you know he felt like he finally had to know about it so he like read up about it and did all of that and has since become like a big advocate alongside me um but like finding myself in a space where I could be me and seen as me yeah and treated as me like just as a, you know I'm just yeah. the person like was yeah. so mm-hmm. refreshing yeah um like it changed my life 
Um, you feel like you got some of yourself back? Do you totally. Think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've got this, the, the fact that like I have a sense of self back. Yeah. Because so often I feel like I've just been like struggling against this like chorus of voices who are all authoring my experience. And like I'm just trying to be a little voice like that's in that chorus that's having maybe some say about it. And yeah. like I've always felt so seen. And I'm talking and like, you know, physically, emotionally, intellectually. So like if we're talking about like sex and having a good time having sex, like feeling seen Mm -hmm. is what makes it work for me. Wow. (laughs) You know, I love that. I think that's a perfect place to and unless there's anything else you wanted to share with people or uh, stuff that you want to promote as far as work that you're doing. Okay. Okay. Tiny question. Okay. Sense of humor. Sure. Do you, do you, how do you, do you, uh, sense of humor personally saves my life. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's also what I do uh, for a living. So it, it's surrounded. Do you ever, are there ever times where you and Chris are like, oh, remember that time I got accused of murder and I was in prison for four years? That blew. <laughs> or, or like, I don't know if you're like working out and you're like, this sucks. Man, but I survived like prison for four years. So I guess it's not that bad. Like, do you ever, do you ever implement that into your life? I'm curious. Um, so I think that. I I like to laugh about it, but less from like a in a less obvious way. Like when mm. and I've definitely here's a, a humor thing. Um, <laughs> I was once in a comedy club when somebody was doing a bit about me. Oh, and they didn't know you were there, and they didn't know I was there. Oh, damn, and you know oh, they man. did like the really like obvious like. And what's what hurt the most about it? Because like people make fun of me all the time. Whatever. Like this person had actually met me before. Mm. That's what sucked. Is like yeah. I had like met this person casually through another situation um, because I like comedy and I like to go to comedy and you know so I'd seen this guy perform before and whatever and so he ended up doing this show like introducing another comedian and I showed up for completely different reasons, didn't even know that he was going to be there. Mm. He didn't know I was there and started doing a bit about meeting me and how he thought he was going to be murdered by me ha, ha, in the ha, room. Ha, ha. And I was like, you know what? You are the laziest motherfucking yeah, comedian that in the shit. world. <laughs> it's hack shit because you know yeah. what? A better joke would have been is, damn, I should be friends with Amanda Knox because that means I can get away with anything yeah. and <laughs> she will get blamed for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy it. So, That's like, hilarious. That'd be better. But like, you know, like if you're going to make fun of it, at least make it be yeah, a make it good fucking funny. joke. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, you can get into some comedy writing now, maybe if they. Uh, honestly, <laughs> if you wanted to get into stand-up, I feel like you'd have great material. I would have great material. <laughs> You'd have some I, good bits. You'd be surprised you get into stand up. I wouldn't even Honestly, be shocked if you did. Yeah, isn't Jeremy Piven doing stand up? What now? if I did a stand up as I mean, someone yes. pretending to be me? That'd oh. be I mean, that'd be amazing. And too. then just talk about cats all the time. <laughs> or if you if you're like, yeah, I'm getting into stand up, and your act just mentioned nothing of that, and yeah, yeah. like just cats. People like would be just so had exclusive just very jokes. everyday material. <laughs> that'd a lot be, of observational comedy. That'd be really funny. Well, actually. here's a joke that I like to say. <laughs> Um, I, w- I like to say that I wasn't sleeping with Chris until after I read his book. 
So, <laughs> if I were going to promote anything, I would He's promote giggling. the Scarlet Letter Reports, which hey. I just did, yes. and War of the Encyclopedists by Gavin Cobite and Christopher Robinson. They also just had another book come out called Deliver Us. So. Ooh, very exciting. Well, that's very nice to promote someone else's stuff. I love it. Heck okay, yeah. you're awesome. Also, Thank you listen so much. to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, Guys, we, we fucked. fucked. Nice. <laughs> Soundbite. <laughs> um, you're the shit. And, and you're like adorable and wonderful. <laughs> and I'm so excited. To meet you. And if people Thanks. want to contact you, is that even on the table? Do you have a you have a website? Um, yeah, manox.com. Yeah, manox.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at amama nox. So a m a m a nox can o x. Um, I'm also on Instagram. And if you really want to stalk me on Instagram, you should actually follow my partner um, because he's mc underscore carbon. Um, okay. EMC underscore anyway we look for him if we'll you put, find we'll, me we'll put the, we'll put the handle because the I'm usually taking pictures of him and he's usually taking pictures of me Aww, oh you're that you're that you couple guys <laughs> alright get a room oh gosh, gosh. well <laughs> alright well thank there's you there's that like bunga bunga oh, yeah, room up the there bo- the boom boom room the boom boom yeah, room so. no, that's <laughs> nice uh, well thank you so much for taking the time to yeah, talk with us we appreciate it this has been guys we fucked the anti-slut shaming podcast We'll talk to you next Friday. Pop up, sit down. Got a little bit of leeway. Drinking on my Sunday crowd. Wow. Not a lot of cheese space, even on the freeway. Gotta learn all this. Tough luck, kick ground. What you up to now? Got a little bit of room upon my cloud. Grab a seat and recline. Soak a little sunshine. We don't have to look back. Smile, cause I'm living like a young king. Sunbeam Sundays got me on my best and freshest. Proud, like I wanna sing you something. First things worthless. Too far up to stress this. Proud, like it hit me all in one breath. Bless one left, need to take a day to let this vibe really syncopate inside. We should take a little ride on this cumulus puff and be pressed. Like a days ago, my day won't touch the ground. Now I'm a shakeable. I ain't never coming down. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that enables you to improve your mental health from anywhere at any time. Get matched with a licensed therapist from over 2,000 choices and message them whenever you need. No commutes, no judgments. For a special offer for our listeners, visit Talkspace.com slash GWF and use code GWF to get $45 off your first month and show your support to this show. Talkspace, it's therapy for how we live today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.